Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Clay Bentley to the show. Clay, welcome. Thank you, Jeremy. Clay is the VP of sales over at Metadata. They are a B2B demand generation platform that performs the most critical functions of your ABM programs. Uh, We don't often dwell on taglines, but we will come back to ABM a little bit because ABM is one of those things that has so many definitions, and I'd love to get your perspective and learn from you on that. Before we get into that and some of the other topics we'll be talking about around adjusting your ICP, around account-based marketing, around building sales organizations, so we'll have a pretty broad-ranging conversation. I'd love to start just by getting to know you a little bit with perhaps one of your favorite sales books of all time, and what did you learn from it? Sure. My favorite book is you know, a non-traditional sales book, but it's called The Power of Habit by uh, Charles Duhigg. And something that always resonated with me is sales is habitual and there is a lot of process that needs to be habitual. And, and I always like this kind of like concept of Alcoa's institutional habit loop where there, there's a cue, there's a routine, there's a reward. And then that's kind of that flywheel that continues to go. I think a lot of that book transfers to sales. We had all of our sales reps at G2 read that book. We think it's really powerful. I second the motion on that book. Our from the book that so much of the importance of building habits actually starts with actually recognizing that cue moment. What is something that you've noticed about the sales professionals you've led that they don't naturally do? And what is that cue moment that they should be watching for? The thing that happens most commonly, I think, to sales reps is the happier syndrome. They'll hear everything that they want to hear. They'll lose focus on process. And that cue is going to create this downward spiral of losing control of the sales process. And we get a lot of examples of it when we're doing one-on-ones with reps. And I got a verbal from the buyer. Uh, So it's like, great, did you follow these next five steps when we do that? And they're like, no, I just sent them the contract. And it's like, that deal is, it went from a 90% chance of closing all the way to a 20% chance of closing because we got those happy years and we decided that, you know, we could take a shortcut instead of talking through the buying committee, talking through how they allocate budget, doing traditional urgency creations and everything else. When you get that cue and you do have that verbal, I think the easiest way to kind of create that routine is to document when you have success, you know, what was that routine when I received that cue? Can I replicate that? Is it replicable? It might not be. It should be, especially in the world of B2B software sales. And quite honestly, you know, we do a lot of training on what's then when you do receive those cues, ask for permission to walk through your process when that cue has been received. You know, and then this is just one example. There's tons of different habits that you need to work on in sales, but that's the one that's always front of mind. Yeah, it makes me think as you were talking about two habits. One was, you know, you mentioned that sort of the asking for permission piece to walk through your process. And I'm a huge advocate. I've mentioned it before of mutual plans. And that's a habit too. It's like, what is the moment that you need to detect as a salesperson that this is the time, right? Generally earlier, the better. Maybe it's not on the disco demo phase if you're in, in the SaaS business. It may not be on the first sales call, but by the time you're in the second or, and absolutely the third sales call, you should absolutely have had a discussion about the mutual plan. I agree. I'm a big believer in, in urgency creation. I think especially now we can have a tendency to have a lot of happy years and you need to have that discipline within that first call. And quite honestly, what we did a lot of training on was creating urgency on the first call. And if you can't create urgency on the first call, it's going to be really, really challenging to create that urgency in the third or fourth call, because now they're just in the evaluation decision phase. And 
you might run great meetings, run four or five fantastic meetings. And by the time you get to that last meeting, they say, great, why don't we just reconnect in Q4? That's when we'll have budget for this. And so you really have to be comfortable and document what are those qualifying questions, how to run a proper discovery. The discovery is not just learning about how they're measured, their role, the company, then trying to identify pain. It's it's really you need to evaluate for yourself and evaluate for your own time. Is this someone that I should be spending my time with? Is this an account that should buy? Does this match our ICP today? What stories can I tell on the first call to create urgency? And you know, really relying on that on that cue of engagement and mutual reciprocated engagement to kind of you know drive back to your process playbook. What are some other tips that you have that you've taught your own AEs on how to create urgency during the first call? Asking really good questions in the beginning about like, is this the problem you want to solve today? And that's one of those kind of just leading indicating questions that can you can start opening up an entire new conversation just by asking a very basic question. You know, I also think from an urgency creation standpoint, I think there's a lot of things that we can identify in an initial discovery call about white space that we're identifying within their business plan. And for us, you know, selling an autonomous demand gen tool like metadata into, you know, usually software companies that have a pretty developed MarTech stack. What separates you from the noise, from the rest of their stack? How are you going to clearly identify the value that you can provide in such a short, condensed period of time of the 20 to 30 minute phone call where you know, someone wants to you know, have a reciprocating engagement? I think the other thing that kind of always stands out to me is that when you're going through these kind of first, second calls and you're trying to establish this engagement and establish interest is that a lot of salespeople will start just laying out value props and feature function and you know try to ask them about strategic initiatives and all those things. The buyer on the other end doesn't care about a lot of those things. What they care about is, can you make my job easier? Can you automate a portion of my job that's manual? Is there value that I can take credit for by adding this to our stack that will change the way we do business going forward? And you got to be able to be comfortable having those deeper level conversations, especially when you start going up in the organization and creating that urgency at the beginning. Yeah, so often reps talk about, right, how much revenue you're going to generate, how much cost you're going to save, all these sorts of ROI-based metrics. And lower effort is not easily measurable from an ROI perspective, certainly at the individual executive level. I wanted to also comment on, you know, you mentioned this question about, is this a problem that you want to solve today? Or a similar question that sometimes people ask me is, how much would it be worth it to you to solve this problem today? I sort of chuckle a little when I get that question because it feels so awkward. But do you think that's just because I'm in sales or do you think it's a weird way to ask the question? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think we sell into marketing departments. And so I talk to them more about if I was to remove a lot of the tactical work from your plate that you're doing on a day-to-day basis and allowed you to spend more time on strategic initiatives internally, would that be of value to you? And the reason I say that is because no one's going to get promoted because they're really good at tactical work. That has never happened. People will get promoted because they're really good at strategic work. And so I want them to think about the things that they can automate to remove managing out of a spreadsheet, pulling different data sources together and trying to figure out the congruencies and the parallels between success and failure. And then I asked them, if I was to take four to five hours a week off of your plate from tactical work, what type of strategic initiatives would you be working on? And then when they start telling me the strategies that they would start experimenting with and working more with content and engaging more with customers, developing a more robust ABM strategy, that is urgency creation at its core. Ultimately, ROI can be 
absolutely attributed to removing tactical work from your plate and automating that and then moving your job to more of a strategic role so that you can take a larger ownership within you know whatever division of the company you're working in. You can start adding more value to the company and not just sitting behind a desk, working behind a spreadsheet and trying to optimize things manually. So that's typically how I attack that question as opposed to just flat out asking it because it, it is a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's way smoother. I think that is sort of breakthrough advice. Just transitioning here, we mentioned the term ABM a ton. You and I were talking you know, before we press record on what the ultimate goal of ABM is. And I, I liked how you described that. So can you kind of recap what the ultimate goal for account-based marketing is? I think at our core, I think the biggest piece of the ABM execution is going to be the most critical function of an ABM program, and that's lead generation. Let's leverage what we know about this vendor, which is you know how we start sales meetings. It's never, how did you hear about us? And it's more, thank you for finally responding to my email. I've been dying to talk to you for two months. Here's why. We work with people just like you. You have three competitors that I know that are currently working with us. I want to talk to you about why they came on board and became customers. I saw that you're running these ads or whatever you're doing. You know, Here's why I initially wanted to reach out to you and you alone and to your business. And this is where I think we can add value to your business. Tell me if I'm totally off the mark, but here's what I've learned about my experience working with competitors of yours. That changes everything, right? I mean, it's just like now it's like, the engagement is peaked. The barriers have been lowered. They're willing to hear you. They're willing to listen. They're willing to re-engage with you and they're willing to coach you. That to me is a proper sales meeting. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of John Barrows and you mentioned a variation of the reason for my call is, and he's a big proponent of that expression. The reason for my call is, I think I can help you in this particular way based on what I've learned from other people that I've worked with. I think that's clever. The other thing when we were talking about ABM, which I thought was interesting was, so often people think of ABX, whatever account-based sales, account-based marketing, as something that you quote-unquote do pre-sale, right, to prospect. But I think you altered my perspective, right, that ABM is across the customer lifecycle, that you're generating leads not just with your prospective customers, but it's equal, if not sometimes more important, certainly from a customer acquisition cost and growth perspective, to actually generate new leads with your existing customers to grow your base. Yeah. Most ABM uh, platforms, most ABM ideologies, they're pretty much stopping at MQL, SQL. I think true ABM follows the entire life cycle of the customer journey from prospect to customer and all the way through to renewal. During these last four months, I think a lot of companies have doubled down efforts on their customer base. I think that's going to be the new rule. Customer marketing is going to be you know, one of those divisions of a company that grows during this. You know, you have an opportunity to build advocates. And if you're able to build evangelists and you want to follow them around and take those advocates and have them bring you into the stack wherever they go, you have to be able to nurture that relationship post-signature. You have to be able to add value to their business outside of your platform. You need to keep sharing with them. If there's best practices, there's white space you're identifying. You're going to know their stack just as well as they do after you engage with them. Consistently add more value so they think of you as a consultant and not someone that just sold them a platform or a service. Now, there's a lot of ways to automate that. There's a lot of ways to do it manually, and it's very simple and basic. But I mean, as simple as setting reminders every month to follow up with your customer base and ask them what their experience has been. And if there's any other areas you can add value to them is going to build an advocate. Building stories around customers that are having success and replicating that in your outreach is going to only add value to your business. So all those things are going to kind of go from programmatic ABM to ABM Lite to strategic ABM. And that true strategic ABM has to be able to include the full customer lifecycle and journey. You'd also mentioned that during the last four months, as we've been working through the coronavirus and its impacts, 
when we were chatting before, you and I were both lamenting the fact that the amount of emails, phone calls that are really, really low quality has dramatically increased. If anything, you'd think the quality would be improving over time. Why in this moment has the quality of all that sales engagement gone so far downhill? What I think is happening with the amount of outreach individuals that are working from home, it's been very challenging to collaborate and share best practices. A lot of cold emails, cold LinkedIn messages and voicemails I get adds zero value to my day-to-day life and my role. I think I get probably 10 to 15 emails and LinkedIn messages a day asking if I want to pay for leads. And if you just look at what our platform does, we're a lead gen platform. <laughs> you know, what I need is a way to better coach our team as you know we, we can't collaborate face-to-face like we had been previously. It's all about hiring people and ramping teams and, and lead gen. And it's like, you know, just pay attention to what's going on around you. This is not my focus right now. That's my two cents. I just think it's a lack of collaboration, a lack of coaching. Something all too rare is a hyper-targeted, hyper-relevant give without asking for anything. What's the best email or the best cold call you ever got? Oh, man. I get a lot. Nine, 99% are garbage. I think <laughs> The best ones stand apart a little bit because I think there's some consistencies between them. I think first... Their messaging has nothing to do with what they do or what they sell. Um, They're trying to add value. They're trying to build a brand as a trusted consultant to me and then can back into the way of what their true mission was in their initial outreach. I had one email about a month and a half ago. The subject line was, we want to learn from you, Colin. What is your process to turn customers into advocates? Now, this company does not do anything related to that. It was simply just, we want to learn from you. How are you doing it? Since you run an ABM platform, you know, how are you leveraging your own platform to do it? Long story short, you know, we bought them, they bought us because we both added value to each other's stack. But I really liked that outreach and it resonated with me. And it's something that we carried over as well into, into our outreach because we want to be you know, trusted advisors to, to marketing operations people. We want them to be able to, to leverage metadata, thought leadership pieces, blog posts, content that we put out there so they can learn and they can improve. And it only adds value and better brand awareness to the metadata brand. It does not do anything self-serving. Brilliant. As someone who's been in the sales and MarTech space for, it looks like, going on 20 years, I'd love your thoughts. And where's all this going? Who knows? <laughs> I think that the future of this especially around ABM, MarTech, there needs to be something that is holding everything together. And right now we are forced in marketing technology to piecemeal the best services together to build a true ABM, a true marketing stack, you know, a true ability to vet through you know, all the various noise that marketing can put out and what is, what is really going to add value to the business. So I really don't know where it's going to go. I'd hate to be completely off base and guess and be completely wrong because I think there isn't going to be any magic. I think that there's going to be some condensing of the MarTech stacks. I think acquisitions are going to be happening a lot over the next three to four years. I think condensing all these various point solution tools into platform is going to be pretty consistent. I think the biggest change in the space is going to be around ROI and attribution. And right now, there's a lot of marketing dollars flying off the shelf that it's very, very hard to attribute back to close one opportunities. And I think we need to be able to aggregate that and figure out our marketing dollars out, what is coming back in, and how can we make that consistent? How can we make it replicable? And how can we create predictable month-over-month pipeline to build a consistent, strong sales team? 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on the challenge behind ROI and attribution. And, and that challenge has a precursor challenge, which is actually driving adoption of all these tools that are out there. I think that's a critical thing. The reason I wanted to ask you that was one of our large enterprise customers showed me their internal tech for how they handle the full customer lifecycle. And I was just blown away. And they asked me, is there anything on the market like this? Because they actually wanted to stop developing it internally and instead get something off the shelf. But basically what it did was your rep, you come in there, it analyzes the accounts in your territory and prioritizes them based on a whole bunch of different factors, right? And they're sucking in data from all the different sources. G2, third-party data, first-party data, demographic, firmographic, all this stuff, right? So they, they prioritize the accounts. And then if when you select the account, they then serve up to you the handful of contacts that are the critical contacts to engage within the account. Once you select them, you get to choose, they recommend for you what play to run. So they have different kind of playbooks that have been built on how to engage. Then that gets pushed over to a sales engagement platform. And that's not only for the new potential customers, but it also does that for existing customers. And if it's an existing customer, to the point we were talking about earlier, it will say, hey, they've been using XYZ. They're a really good candidate for this other product or this other suite of products and, and actually you know, provides those recommendations. And embedded with that is their integration with their sales enablement solution. I don't know if they use Showpad or Seismic, that ilk, so that you can actually attach right content associated. So they have found a way to integrate all of the different vendors, partners that they use. And I don't know that something like that exists. It's like a super, super integration play where you can bolt in sales engagement and you can bolt in ABM and you can bolt in sales enablement and you can bolt in whatever marketing automation, like it's all bolted together. I've never seen it like it. It blew my mind. I said, look, this is a huge competitive advantage for you. I'm not aware of anything like that, but don't stop developing this. Yeah, our, our uh, customer at G2 and, and Metadata SAP, I can talk about it because they've posted articles about it now, is Develop Crystal Ball. And that's kind of their own proprietary aggregation of intent data and then ultimately activating that intent data and with all the enablement and scoring and all those good things. And I think one thing that everyone always forgets is that there's a lot of checks within that in order to execute and spit out the end result. If one portion of that chain is disrupted or not adopted, the entire thing is broken. That terrifies me. So I think the future would have to be in something that would be interesting to layer on top that is a checks and balances along the way and some sort of automation for that so that you can be alerted so human can take action because all it takes is one person in that 20-step process to miss or to be late or to not update and everything we know is going to be altered and the reality is not going to be accurate. And I think something has to sit on top of all of those things to make sure the machine is properly fueled, but also the wheel keeps turning. I'm really excited about the large enterprises have so many resources, and I can't imagine what your customer is spending in their stack in order to use all those tools and aggregate everything and pull them all together. I think the condensing of marketing budget and stack budget is, I think it's going to be happening pretty aggressively over the next six to 12 months. And you know, some companies that can afford that much maturity, are, I think are going to do well. And the companies that can't are going to fall behind and start losing out on opportunities and, and identifying white space. So um, all the power to them. I think that's a great articulation of the future vision. 
Clay, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about metadata, what's the best way for them to do that? So the best way to do it is to go to metadata.io. One thing that's kind of nice about us and what we really try to lead from the front on is acting more as consultants. You know, we want to engage with you. We'd love for everyone to be our customer. But at the end of the day, we want to leverage our talent that we've hired and assembled as consultants and professional services and managed services um, while not operating as an agency and still stand a standalone platform. But email is clay at metadata.io, LinkedIn, Clay Bentley. You know, if you want to get a hold of me, feel free. Super brilliant. Thanks for chatting today, Clay. Much appreciated. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. Peter Lepinto is our editor. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.